Please pray with me. Oh, Father, I pray that our ears, our hearts, and our minds are open to your word. I ask that you teach us today, that you make us sensitive to the things that are of you. All of this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, Robert pointed out that the passages that I'm meant to preach on are probably those least preached upon within the entire Bible. So pray for me. I want you to imagine uh, the episode. This is purely fantastic, so you can imagine it any way you would like but an episode of a television situation comedy, a sitcom as we say it. Maybe it would be a spin-off from Saturday Night Live. And it's about politicians, a politician perhaps. Uh, I suppose he could be a president of the United States. He could be the, the president of the Russian Federation, uh, a, a prime minister of any European country. But he's a powerful world leader. And he gathers his top advisors around him, along with his uh, general staff and higher-up military commanders, and decides to have a big party, a banquet, if you will. And it goes on for a long time, and a lot of alcohol is consumed. That's very clear from the the, uh, uh, context here. This is a big deal. But it turns out that the most... uh, uh, the biggest crisis of that moment is that the prime minister, let's call him, that his beautiful trophy wife refuses his call to join the party because she understands that all he really wants to do is to build up his own ego by showing off her beauty. That's really what this story is telling us here in this first chapter. And the irony, and to a certain degree, the humor, it is a kind of sarcastic humor, if you will, is that the most powerful man in this, this world, if you will, this, this imaginary world, can't control his wife. (laughs) She just says no and doesn't show up. All right. But there's, within this humor, there's also a a kind of uh, awesome irony that this is a man who has the capacity to put away his wife just on a whim. He's also a man who has the capacity, again, uh, uh, 
without any kind of uh, judicial process, what we would call due process. He has the capacity, when he identifies uh, two uh, uh, rebels within his court, to kill them. All he has to say is, boom, you're gone, you're dead. So he's a very powerful man indeed, and yet one who has no accountability to anybody. All right. So there's humor. There's a sense of things are not quite right as we see this, this first chapter of the book of Esther. And just to put the things in context within, within its original, uh, this, this guy, this uh, Ahasuerus, he is the emperor of the largest group of, uh, the largest uh, nat nation or empire of nations that has existed in that region forever. His reign goes, uh, covers an area from parts of Greece, all of the Anatolian uh, Peninsula, that is what's today Turkey, all of what we know is the Mideast, or, or we generally uh, identify in that way, that is uh, Syria, Iraq, uh, Iran, uh, parts of, of uh, what we would call uh, Pakistan today, uh, uh, Afghanistan, all of that area is under this man's control. And he is powerful. And, and yet he's kind of, I don't know, he's kind of, kind of goofy as he's presented here. Now, I'm told by the commentators who know far more than I do that the author of this book is, is of course, a Jewish person. He's trying to tell a story that is about the, about the protection and the redemption of God and the salvation of God for the Jewish people in a very difficult time. And so he wants to cast, perhaps, he, he, on purpose, he's on purpose casting this king, this great emperor, in a, a not so favorable light. But he also is pointing out that even the most powerful man of his own, of his own generation cannot stand against the will and the purposes of God. That's really the message of this introduction, if you will, to this book of Esther. We could say, okay, he fires the queen. He declares an empire-wide law that says, wives, you need to obey your husbands. 
In fact, he has it promulgated in many languages because it is an empire that includes different regions and different peoples and different languages. And then he goes one step further and says that even if the implication of the law is that even if a wife uh, speaks a different language from her husband. She needs to learn her husband's language so she will understand that she is under his control and power. Now, today, we, we don't quite mesh with that, do we? But I think in their culture, it might have been more acceptable, let's put it that way. However, the idea that this very powerful man has to promulgate a law throughout the empire essentially to prove that he's really a man who controls his wife is very interesting to me and to us. Maybe, maybe it's our, 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 our bias, if you will, our, our generation, our age, and our ways of thinking about these things. But I wonder... Uh, if we looked back in old sermons, might, might there be a few sermons about husband-wife relationships based on this text? I don't know. <laughs> that would be something to see for us in this generation and age. But what is the conclusion? What is God doing through this? What, what the author is trying to tell us and what we... we, we take as true, as a representation, uh, as a true representation of, of, of the real facts and the history, is that this strange drama creates a situation where Esther and her, we might call him today, foster father, he's a cousin, he's, he's taken on uh, her protection as, as a young woman, and, and he is a man of some status, apparently, within this society. It, it enables them both to move higher. In fact, for Esther, the young woman, uh, to, to move to the very uh, uh, bedroom of the king and his right hand, if you will. But we also know that just at the end of this second chapter, that Mordecai, sitting at the gate, doing uh, whatever his duties were uh, as a servant of the king and of certain high men within the king's uh, hierarchy, that he overhears a plot against the king He's able to understand what was going on, to identify the people who are the, the perpetrators of this or the, the, the ones who would perpetrate a plot to assassinate the king. But because his foster daughter has already ascended to a place at, uh, of closeness to the king, he's able to say to her, you need to go to your husband and tell him that he's in danger. The king gets the message 
He might not have gotten the message had not Esther already become the, the queen uh, uh, in waiting, as it were. But he gets the message. He investigates the, the background or the, the story, realizes it's true, and is grateful to Mordecai for, uh, for protecting him. And this sets up the rest of the story. Uh, some of you are old enough to remember that line from the radio. <laughs> some of you are laughing, but I'll have to, we'll have to talk about it after the service. Uh, now, what does this mean for all of us? Well, my brothers who are, who are going to preach the rest of the story, uh, th they'll talk to you about things like the structure of the book, like the number, of, it has an amazing number of feasts. They kind of come in pairs, and there are all these wonderful things that have meaning to them. There are things about uh, there's a real bad guy who is an opponent of Mordecai and Esther. And, and the fact that the bad guy falls and Mordecai ascends. All of that is very, very important. And it, and it sets up something that's an important uh, ritual, if you will, in Jewish tradition, the Feast of Purim, where there's, it's, it's a feast of fellowship and a sharing of food. And it's, it's a, uh, that, I think that's, connected to all the, all the feasts that are in the story, and it's an encouragement for God's chosen people to, to celebrate His faithfulness toward them. All right, but what does all that mean to us? Well, think about the past year, really the past, what, 20 months? What have we gone through? Well, we had a pandemic. And it just didn't make a lot of people sick and some to die. But it put us in a place where we, where even with the, our closest family, we couldn't get together. We couldn't do the things that give us joy in our lives day by day, week by week. Uh, even uh, even well, for how many months? Did we, did we try to go to church on television through the internet? I mean, that was okay, but it ain't church. It's not gathering. <laughs> I mean, it's not a, a worship gathering. Uh, we say that on purpose, don't we? That when we come together, there's something significant there. And coming together via the internet has a certain value, but it does not measure up, ultimately. And that's why we were anxious to come together when we did. But when we came together, we had to wear masks, we've had to uh, alter the way we do Holy Communion. There are a lot of things that have been... Um, I, I hope I'm not just being cranky, right? There are a lot of things that, that have been uh, uh, not fun, both personally and in the church itself. In the midst of this, we go through 
what feels locally, uh, at least as a community, which feels like a, I don't know, an earthquake in our leadership. We go through that and a sense that is, and a worry that this is going to divide us, uh, maybe forever. I don't know. I pray not because I believe in a God who sets things right, who gives us a special grace to forgive and to reconcile with one another. But we, let's go on and say, what are the economic consequences? Some of us have suffered because of this. This thing that over which we have no control. Uh, businesses have not been able to function. Uh, and in the middle of all of that, we had, uh, as a nation, uh, uh, thanks be to God, not so much here in this city or in our region, but as a nation, we've had to see uh, uh, the most profound social strife, I'll call it, uh, that, we've ex that at least I've experienced since uh, the late 1960s when, when we had uh, in some areas uh, race riots and, and uh, violent protests against the Vietnam War. I mean, we, we may want to forget about those things, but this, this, what we've experienced in this past year is on the same or a similar scale at least. And then the most divisive election that I've experienced in my 75 years. Gosh, guys. I think the message here is that things can look terribly, terribly bad and we can be in the midst of them, but the God who loves his people the God who cares for the ones that he has set apart by his grace and mercy, the God, that God, the only one, the creator of the universe, the salvation of humanity, that he is faithful, that we can look past these things. I hope I'm not just being Pollyanna but I know some things that happened. My son, right before the big, one of my sons, right before the beginning of the, of the pandemic, got a job. And it turned out that the particular industry that he, that he was working in as a salesman was an industry that went like this because it was about home improvement. And there were a lot of people sitting at home with nothing to do and they said oh remember that project that we had that that landscaping thing we were going to do that deck we were going to build <laughs> and he made more money in that year than he had in any of the years before what I'm trying to get at here is let's begin to look beyond the dark cloud the dark clouds 
and begin with hope to see what God is doing. My hope and prayer for this church, this community that I love, for these people, you whom I love, is that we can move past our divisions, that we can find and build a new foundation for this congregation, which is built on our understanding of God's steadfast love, which never ends, His mercy that is forever. Can we learn to love and care for one another if we disagree about politics? By God's grace, we can. Can we learn that maybe this is a time when if economic, if economic consequences have touched members of our community and our congregation, we can reach out to them with helping hands, with money, with, with time, with, with advice. There are so many things and so many situations in which God in His mercy can work through us and build a new community in this place. that can turn whatever tragedies and whatever frustrations we have in our personal and family lives into something much, much better. That's the message of this book, that God is faithful and that all we need to do is commit ourselves to him and to his ways. Let us pray. Oh, Father, in Jesus' name, we come before you, not in our own strength, but acknowledging our weaknesses, acknowledging our frustrations, acknowledging, yes, even our failures, and yet, oh, Lord, knowing that even when we fail, that you are faithful. And so now, Lord, open our hearts Fill us with hope. Fill us with a greater faith. And fill us with courage to walk forward in that hope and faith and love which only you can give us. All of this we pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen.